Danny Lavery here, and I have a special announcement for our listeners. Some of you know that I published my latest book in February. It's called Something That May Shock or Discredit You, and it's a little bit about transmasculinity, a little bit about the rapture, and a little bit about Anne of Green Gables. Today, I wanted to let you know that for a limited time only, you can get a really good deal on the audiobook, which is read by me. Go to slate.com slash Danny. That's just slate.com slash Danny. There's also a link in the show notes of this episode. The audiobook will cost you just $12.99. That's $5 off the list price. You will be hard-pressed to find a better deal. After you complete your purchase, you'll be able to listen to the audiobook in your preferred podcast player. That's right, the one that you're using right now. There's no special app to download and no subscription fees. And there's one more thing you should know. This audiobook sale is brought to you by Slate. That means your purchase not only supports me, it also helps support the important journalism you depend on. So it's a win-win. You save money and Slate makes money. If you've ever thought about checking out my book, there's never been a better time than now. This is a limited time promotion. So don't just sit there. Sit there and go to slate.com slash Danny and buy my audiobook today. One more time, that's slate.com slash Danny. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Dr. Jennifer M. Buck, an assistant professor of practical theology at Azusa Pacific University. Her books and research explore themes of global Christianity, Quakerism, gender, race, and popular culture. And 13 years ago, she was my college roommate. And now, here's our first letter. So this next one, by the way, I couldn't quite figure out the subject line. Because I couldn't figure out how it relates to that particular novel. I agree. I wasn't I wasn't sure why this was like that. I was going to ask yeah. you that. You're the literary expert of the two of us. I mean, so the the subject line is does this call for a Jane Eyre objection? And for readers unfamiliar with Jane Eyre, the the objection at that point was this couple was about to get married and this guy came in and said, "You can't marry him. He's still technically married to my sister, uh who he keeps in his attic because she has gone mad." And that's just very much not what's going on here. So No is the answer to that question. It doesn't. Let's read it and find out if there's any other objections. Dear Prudence, I have a foster sister, Kim, who I'm very close with. We met when we were both 12 and we're now 24. She was in the foster system much longer than I was, and her only other close connection is a family friend, Jake, who was in and out of trouble since he was a young teenager. Mostly petty stuff, fights, vandalism, shoplifting, but things kept escalating. He's eight years older than us, but they bonded over a mutual love in comics and art. I never liked him. He's moody and sarcastic. So they mostly hung out together without me. He was basically like her older brother until we were seniors in high school when he was sentenced to four years for armed robbery. Thankfully, no one was hurt. I knew that Kim had a crush on him, but I figured nothing would come of it. He got out of prison last year and they reconnected, but this time they started dating. They've spent all of quarantine together. She just told me that they are engaged and planning to get married in January. She wants me to be her maid of honor. I bit my tongue to congratulate her, but the age difference, his record, and the weird intimacy of their previous relationship seemed like huge red flags. 
Our friends want me to tell her not to go through with it, but I'm worried that could drive her away and isolate her even more. Plus, I don't have anything concrete against him. As far as I can tell, he has turned his life around post-prison and she swears he never made any advances while we were underage. I hate the guy, but that's just me. Should I be in this wedding? Should I tell her my concerns or say nothing? I wondered, do you often get a lot of letters that are like, do I tell them I don't think they should get married? I could see where this question in various forms comes up often. It does. Usually, I'll I'll tell you, like, my rubric is, do you believe that this person is in danger? Um, And do you have, like, good reason to think that they're in danger? And if the answer is no, usually it's either don't say anything or have a conversation that's just like, I have these concerns. I realize that this is your life. I do wonder about this, but I'm not pushing you to like give me these answers and I hope you'll forgive me if I've overstepped my balance. Again, I'll save that for like pretty close relationships and stuff that feels kind of murky. But so, you know, in this situation, you're very, very close to her. I I think your friendship might suffer if you never, ever discuss this at all. But I also really want to take seriously the fact that Kim is 24 years old, she's an adult, and that you can trust her when she says... When we were kids, we were just kids. Um, it, it really does seem like you don't have any reason to think that it wasn't completely just a case of they were friends when they were kids and he was older. And then when he got out of jail and they were both adults, they reconnected and they had a romantic connection. Like, I don't see anything in this letter that makes me think, oh man, he was definitely like trying to abuse her as a child and is now successfully groomed her into a relationship as an adult. So that I think is is an important reading that informs my advice. And if I felt like there were details in her that made me suspicious, that then I would recommend that the letter writer take a different tack. Does that seem reasonable to you? Do you want to leave open the other possibilities? And if so, how would you want the letter writer to think about that? You have to take someone at their word. So for me, it's less about other possibilities in that like, she has asked, she has been given an answer your option is to trust that answer or then now accuse your foster sister of lying directly to you. And that's that's mm-hmm. rough, right? So assuming that answer is true, then I think do voice your concerns. There's no harm in necessarily saying, here are a few of the reasons I have some concerns, maybe about the speed or the age difference or um, some of his run-ins with the law, things like that. But I think you should also still be a support system to your foster sister as much as you are able. You've both lived quite a life together and that you still have each other in your lives is a really beautiful thing. And you probably have a deep sense of family uh, that you might not have with a lot of other folks. So I would encourage you to not let this end your relationship, if at all possible, as far as it depends on you, letter writer. Um, And... And some of that might come in just still being a support system in the season of them getting married because probably your foster sister is going to get married whether you support or not. So the option and the invitation for you is, would you like to still be in her life or not? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and And to that end, I think maybe the best tack would be something like, I'm really happy that you're happy. And yet I also know that there's a lot that I'm missing because whenever I've spent time with Jake, he's been pretty distant with me. And, um, I don't hold a, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't want to punish him for that, but it would help me, I think, um, if we could spend some time together and 
maybe the three of us could talk a little bit about the fact that I've never really gotten to get a chance to know him, but we have one big thing in common, which is that we both really care about you. Um, and so I'd like to try again, you know, the, the last times it sounded like that you saw him, he was an asshole and, um, he's been through a lot since then. And I think if you were to say that to her in a way that wasn't like prove to me that he's a good guy or I'll withdraw my approval, but more like he's hurt my feelings in the past and and I want to give him another shot that that would go a long way towards seeing whether or not that's possible. And it may be that you just are still like, I don't really get what she sees in him. I think he kind of sucks. I'm going to continue to mostly just spend time with her, you know, when he's not around. But, um, you know, a 24-year-old and a 32-year-old getting married, she knows the difference in age between the two of them. She's an adult. It sounds like they knew each other when they were kids but didn't live together. And like he spent long stretches of time away at juvie. So like to whatever degree their relationship was like a family one, I think that mostly has to do with the fact that she didn't have a lot of stable people in her life at all. Not like, oh my gosh, they were raised together from birth or they have a biological relationship. Like it, it doesn't seem incestuous to me. It just seems like a guy she's known for a really long time. Yeah, I would agree. And you even admit, letter writer, you don't really have anything concrete against him. So I think it's fair to say some of these things give me pause or I have this history that has maybe made me come to some of these conclusions. But Danny, I think you're totally right in that why not invest in the possibility of a kind of a new relationship in adulthood that's a little different than what the dynamic was when y'all were younger. And so if, if there's the part of you that does kind of care as much as to write in this letter about Kim and about Kim's well-being that you might want to invest into the relationship with Kim and soon-to-be-married Kim, why not see if there's a possibility of, like, building some shared friendship in adulthood with him? And that might be really beneficial, trying to give him a another chance and, yeah, basing it out of your your shared mutual love of your foster sister, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, like, maybe you give him that chance and he's still kind of rude to you and you just don't really like him. That is okay. Um, and it's you don't have to necessarily hide that from Kim or go out of your way to say, like, no, he's fantastic. I adore him to make up for it. Maybe they will get married and it won't work out. Maybe they won't even get married. Maybe things will will get called off before then. And it, at that point, I would just say, like, the goal is not either, like, try to outlast him or, you know, say he's great so that you can put up with him for the next 40 years. So much as just she's your friend and you love her. She's going to marry somebody that she wants to marry. Um if you are not concerned for her health and safety now, I think you should be very careful about how you raise your concerns. But you definitely, I think, have grounds to speak about the things that give you pause about your previous interactions with him, but also to make it clear that you would like to get to know what he is like now and to give him a real shot so she doesn't feel defensive. And then beyond that, make your own judgments. Good luck. I've certainly, I've certainly, not this exact situation, uh, but I've certainly been like, I would love to come to your wedding and secretly root against it. <laughs> and it's fine. Like you either you either get to know the person and you get over it or you're able to maintain some sort of friendship where you're just like, well, that's their marriage and it doesn't really affect our friendship and I, it's not my place to interfere. And then sometimes everybody else is like, yeah, we hate this person too. And then three years later they get divorced and you're all like, this, this is, I'm sorry. I feel bad that I feel good about this because you're so sad. So- all this is to say there's no perfect outcome to this sort of no, situation. There isn't a perfect outcome, but I would encourage you not to like stew or get passive aggressive about it. You know, like this is clearly who, what Kim has chosen in adulthood. And mm-hmm. 
you can express concerns and then you can figure out what the friendships look like in the future. But I don't think a healthy option is to like harbor a bitterness or a resentment necessarily. You know, that's, that's not going to do anything for them or for you, frankly. Yeah. Okay. So the last question is great because it really highlights how much I don't understand money. And it's your turn to read. (laughs) I can just sit here and enjoy my ignorance. Yes. Subject, mortgage malfunction. Dear Prudence, last year I was in a bad car accident. I just received the settlement and have more money than I thought after I pay off my bills. I want to pay off the remainder of my mother's house where I've been living ever since the accident and will probably remain for the foreseeable future in a makeshift mother-in-law suite. My mother still has about half of her mortgage left, and her current will leaves things to me and my sister in a 50-50 split. I think I should have a 50-50 share right now, and that when my mother passes, her share should be split 50-50 between us, essentially giving me a 75% share. My mother apparently doesn't agree. I thought I had talked her into changing her will. We looked into paying off the house. And then I found the latest version, sent it to my lawyer, who told me that with this wording, it's possible my sister could still get 50% of the house after my mom passes. I'm devastated that my mother would do this to me. I confronted her and she pretended to have a breakdown, saying she didn't want to pay favorites with her daughters, but she felt so much pressure because of the stress of their mortgage. I know I need to talk to my lawyer but I'm just feeling put off by this. My father had gotten a 30-year mortgage with a plan to pay it off early, but when he died, he left my mother with very little. With her mortgage, my mother won't be able to retire till she's 70. I want to take care of her, I really do, but a part of me wants to take my money and do something for myself right now. I'm really torn. I haven't talked to my sister yet. Should I bring her into this? Yeah, I have a few thoughts. Tell me all of them. Okay, I will. One of them is assuming and pending your relationship with your sister being healthy and of decent communication, it does feel like it maybe is a conversation worth having with your sister, what you're anticipating doing and what you're thinking. And that there might be a middle ground or an option that you two as sisters could help figure out. And then your mom doesn't have to feel like she's playing favorites, but it can be kind of like a unified decision together that benefits everyone. There there might be a possibility out there by talking to her, but it really depends on your dynamic. And that's where I have to trust you, letter writer, because you also don't necessarily want to make this situation worse if your mother already, you know, is feeling a lot of feelings around this situation. And there's been a, a little bit of a breakdown around all of that. The other one I feel is that, of course, this is your money and you are entitled to do with it what you would like. And it is also ultimately your mother's decision how she leaves her will. And that's that. those two things are not necessarily things that are going to necessarily be related. You are free to gift your mother some money. Your mother's also free to set her will how she wants. That I That's kind of what I come down to. I don't know. What's your take? Do you have a different take? Yeah. I mean, I, I can see a situation where I would encourage the letter writer to talk to their sister next. But honestly, based on what I've seen here, to me, it just seems like either give your mother a financial gift or don't. But trying to pay off her mortgage in order to get her to amend her will in your favor is clearly not working. And this kind of like hope of like, maybe I can just keep fighting with my mom until she gives in is just like, like this is how you get knives out, you know? Um, And that's that, that line about like, 
my mother pretended to have a breakdown saying she didn't want to play favorites with her kids, but felt so much pressure. Like, I don't, I don't know that she was pretending. That sounds That's like a genuinely stressful situation. I imagine she was very worried about all of that. And maybe it seemed false to you and we have to trust you. But I, I could see where that is very stressful for a mother, especially if now you're in a different financial situation than maybe your sister. And so your mom wants doesn't want to seem like she's giving you special treatment just because you have come into more money necessarily. Yeah. I, I think you should take some of this money and hire a financial advisor um, in addition to the lawyers that you're already talking to and certainly take your lawyer's advice into account. But go to a financial advisor and like a good one. Do some research. Ask around. And like present them with your situation. Be like, I have this much money. I've been trying to do this, which is pay off my mom's mortgage and force her to give me more of the house. That's not working. And she's crying. Do you think I should keep going? And my guess is the financial advisor is going to say, no, here is what you should do instead. And you can look into ways to saving some of it, investing some of it, um, setting some of it aside to pay a gesture towards rent towards your mother that would help her pay off the mortgage, but that would not therefore entitle you to her will someday. Like, I just really think you should stop thinking of your mother's house as an investment. Um, invest your money elsewhere. And then if you would like to contribute a small portion of rent, um, not because you're buying your way towards ownership of the house someday, but just because rent is a nice thing to give someone if you can, um, you know, do that. Right. I I was kind of thinking, you know, if you're you're stressed yourself about your mother's stress about her mortgage, that's an easy entry point to the conversation with your sister. And you can talk about like, you know, mom might still have to keep working till longer than we baby both want or she wants. I know she's really stressed about the mortgage. Is there ways we can support her? I'm thinking about gifting her some money to help towards the mortgage. How what do you think about that? What you know, like open up a conversation, I would say, out of that place, not out of a, we need to renegotiate the will. Right. But I out need to of get a, my sister on board to argue my position. Right. Out of a care for your mother and care to alleviate some financial stress if you're able. Right. But if, if you really ultimately like feel like this stress, I'm not sure about, and then you want to take the money and do something for yourself, okay, do that. You know, this is not something you have to do, especially if right. it seems like it's, gonna like lead to you living there and having this resentment towards your mother the whole time. Like that sounds very unpleasant. Right. And especially because it's like you say that what you want is to take care of your mom and you want her to help retire before she's 70. Okay. Then why are you making such a huge deal out of whether you get 50% or 75% of the house? Like I get, I get that it's more of the house, but you'd still be splitting it with your sister. You would still have to take her input into whatever you two did with the house. It still wouldn't be just yours. So like, I, I don't quite get why you're getting so fixated on this 25% of the house. You don't say like, it's the biggest mansion on, you know, the Isle of Wight or that like, it's a dream home and I never want to leave. Like it just, it feels like you're just really getting stuck on this idea of like, I should be getting money back for my generosity to my mother. But then you say, I just want to take care of her. And I got to say, if you want to take care of her, just take care of her. And you don't take care of someone because you're expecting to get a return on your investment. You take care of them because it's something you want to and choose to do. So if you want to help your mom retire a little bit earlier, do that and don't ask for anything in return. And if you want to do that, and then also take some of your money from your settlement and 
invest it or get yourself something nice, do that. I completely agree. It, you, you can't be generous with strings attached, right? So the option is to be generous or have a separate conversation about the will, but you can't say I'm going to be generous so that you'll renegotiate your will for me. Like it doesn't. Yeah, it's just like if you're in a position where you're like threatening your mom to change her will and then she cries and then you're like, you're pretending to have a breakdown. Like you are heading down a dark path. You are going to end up growing an evil mustache and twirling it and tying ladies to railroad tracks. And I don't think you have to become that person. You sound like an otherwise sensible good person with good priorities who's just gotten really fixated, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. It, it, this is an opportunity for generosity, but yeah, don't don't become the person that occasionally slides out in this letter that sounds a bit selfish. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's like who you have to be. I don't think that's the true you. I think you can let a lot of this go. Um, and I want you to let it go. I think you will feel better if you let it go rather than like holding on to like, this will is a sign of whether or not my mom appreciates me. And it's just not that. Yeah. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 